3: as we welcome you along to another week of programmes here on C103. John Paul's taking your calls at 1850 333 You can text your WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Anything you want to share with us, if you got up to anything at the weekend that you want to share with us, we would love to hear from you. And thank you to people to say, Patricia. How did your vaccination go on Saturday? It went swimmingly well, I have to say. Now, the one thing I will say, I the vaccination centre for me in North Cork is at the Mallow GAA Centre and I'd heard so many people saying how well run it was, how efficient it was, all of the staff that were there showing you where to park the car, showing you where to go, where to get into the queue, showing you where to go next and then the registration and then you get you queue up again and then you get, go into the nurse and you get the injection which I have to say I didn't even feel. It is the tiniest needle I think that has ever been used for vaccinations and it was it was just great. It was really great the only downside was there was a bit of a problem at the vaccination centre in Mallow on Saturday and from what I, information I could garner from one of the young security lads they seem to have had some kind of a tech issue when they started at 8 o'clock in the morning. Nothing to do thankfully with this, the cyber attack on the HSE and on the Department of Health. That seemed It seemed to have be been a, a local issue whether the broadband went down, I'm not too sure, but they were all set, ready to go, start vaccinating at 8 o'clock. The 8 o'clock people were all there ready to be jabbed and then they couldn't do anything and I think it took about an hour maybe a little over an hour to get things up and running so therefore then for the rest of the day they were running an hour behind. So when I arrived for my 2.15 appointment and instead to stay in the car until five minutes before and I duly did, I got there about five past two, I sat in my car for another five minutes then I headed out and then when I headed out I realised oh there's a very large queue of people here and one woman was, was passing as I was joining the queue saying you just have to join and said oh you'll have about a two hour wait so it wasn't. It was about an hour everything was delayed by about an hour so the whole process took probably just a little bit under it was just a little bit under uh, 2 hours because I joined the queue at coming up to say quarter past 2 and then I was free to go at quarter to 4 so there was a little bit of a delay people were in good spirits I have to say I mean there was one gentleman I was talking to and I just made the point "Sure, we've waited this long for our vaccine we'll wait another hour. The downside I suppose on Saturday was there was very heavy showers but I had gone prepared I did bring an umbrella with me I think a lot of people had umbrellas and raincoats with them but everybody was just in good form. We really were just, you were just glad to be there and glad to know that you were finally on the road to uh, vaccination. And then once you got inside, uh, it was fantastic. It's just, they have such a system in place and such an efficient system in place. It was unfortunate that there was this one hour delay, but I could see what other people were saying about you turn up five minutes before your time, you go into the queue, you get in, and if they hadn't have had that delays, I would have been in and out, even allowing for the fifteen minutes where you have to sit after having the vaccination where they monitor you. I can see because it's so efficiently done and the way the queuing system is done and the way you line up and you get you register and then you go into the next queue and then you get called in to the nurses station. It really is, it's it's so well run and well done to the HSE and well done to everybody that's involved. At all of those vaccination centres that are really working flat out. Also, well done to all the GP practices who equally are running very efficient services uh, as well. So, it, it was great. The one thing I will say when you get a text message to get called to the vaccination centre, it says on the text message that you need to bring your mobile phone with you and you need to bring photo ID. No, I brought along my driver's licence. Most people seem to have a driver's licence, credit card, whatever photo ID you care to bring with you. But you actually also need to have your PPS number. Now, if you don't have it, I saw the girl in the registration was finding it for other people. But to speed up the process, it would help if you had your PPS number I happened to have my PPS number on a public service card that was in my wallet. So I was able to access it straight away, but I could see other people were in a bit of a flap, didn't, didn't realize that they needed it. And then when you get into the nurse who gives you the injection she also asks you for your PPS number and I was talking to that nurse and I was saying "Oh, I, why, why, why do they not put on the text message that you need your PPS number because you don't want anything that's going to delay anybody else in the queue behind you particularly on a day like Saturday where we were already waiting an hour and I was very conscious that it was wet outside and there was real heavy downpours and then the sun would come out in between so you didn't want anything that was going to slow up the process and she agrees the nurse I was speaking with said yeah they really should have put that on the text message so if you are going forward today or indeed any day this week to any of the vaccination centres bring your mobile phone bring your photo ID but also have your PPS number with you now she said you'd be surprised at the number of people that know their PPS number off the same way that they know their telephone number I'll put my hand up and say, I don't know my PBS number. I know it starts with a three and that's about, that's about as far as I can go with even guessing my PBS number. So do have that uh, with you. But all in all, it was great. And then somebody said, how did you feel after it? I was fine. I'll tell you what I did. And I, I, a number of people had advised me to do this was to take a couple of Panadol before I went And so I did and then I got my my shot and then a number of hours later I took some more Panadol and I took another two before I went to bed. And I took them three times yesterday when I got up in the morning, again about six, seven hours later and again before I went to bed because some people are saying that you can get a really banging headache from it. Others were saying, you know, they got flu-like symptoms, other people spiked a temperature. I I didn't have any of those symptoms. Was it because I preempted it by taking the Panadol? I don't know. But that's what I would suggest to anyone. Just take a couple of Panadol, Paracetamol before you go. Or I think you could take Ibuprofen as well. But certainly I didn't have any ill effects. Is my arm sore? Uh, I, if, I press, if I press exactly where the needle went in, yeah, it's sore, but not, not, just a little bit tender. Not, not like, oh my God! I mean agony sore. Other than that, no, nothing. Thank God, thank God. And long will that last. And when I go in for my second one in a month's time, may it be the same uh, as well. So good luck to any every, anybody heading off to get their vaccines today, because I know this week is going to be an exceptionally busy week for vaccinations, because I think they're going to, they're attempting to beat all records on the number of people that are going to be vaccinated this week. They're looking at between 240 and 280,000 people getting vaccinated this week and that will be right across all of the vaccination centres and it will be right across all of the GPs. Many of the GP practices are still doing vaccinations as well and the green light is expected in the coming days to offer both the Johnson and Johnson and the AstraZeneca jabs to people aged between 40 and 49 and that obviously will pave the way for of vaccination of, this, of that particular group, the group in their 40s, to begin as early as this month. The HSE is expected to announce that people in their 40s will be able to begin registering for the vaccination shortly. Now, we don't have a date on that yet. My guesstimate will be it'll be sometime towards the end of this week or maybe early next week and it'll be done, I imagine, the very same way that they did it for the people in their 60s and the way they've done it for the people in their 50s in that they'll select a date and tell the people who are 49 to register and then the next day it'll go down 48, 47, right the way down to uh, uh, 40. It's understood that the recommendation from the National Immunisation Advisory Committee, NIAC, will be to allow both AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson to be offered to people aged from 40. At the moment, there is a restriction that it can only be offered to people over 50. And then it was originally believed and was something that we were certainly mentioning last week that the recommendation would be confined to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine only and that the cutoff would be 45. But now they're saying no. Both vaccines now are expected to be used by people over the age of 40. But anyone that's offered in that age group either Johnson & Johnson or AstraZeneca will be asked for their consent and obviously that's down to the very small risk of the unusual blood uh, clots. The vaccines will also be used in those over 40 where alternatives are not available. And the recommendation is believed to have been supported by the Chief Medical Officer, Tony Houlihan, and it's now a matter for the HSE to implement. The decision is seen as a boost, obviously, to the rollout of the vaccine and it comes as the HSE has managed to continue with the administration of the vaccine since last week's cyber attack. And I think that was one of the big things when we heard about the cyber attack on Friday. Straight away, people were saying, oh, what's this going to mean for the vaccinations? But it doesn't seem to have affected it in uh, any way everyone with an appointment who turns up at a designated vaccination centre or a GP surgery will be given their vaccine this week and the portal uh, to apply for the vaccine is still still remains open for people in their 50s and uh, 60s a huge cohort of people in the 50s and 60s have registered but there are still some people who haven't registered yet and if you are in your 50s and 60s and you haven't had your vaccine and you haven't registered it is still not too uh, late and of course vaccinations have already been credited with dramatically reducing levels of serious illness hospitalization and death amongst the older age group so they have been and continue to be a huge huge success story and can I, I, it would be remiss of me to start the program without wishing the very very best of luck to all of the businesses that are uh, that opened up i take it at about 9am this morning shutters went up on shops ...all over the country... for for many of them, for the first time in five months, retailers nationwide are welcoming back customers into their bricks and mortar uh, with a renewed optimism. And the signs, if you're looking at what happened last week with Click & Collect and some of the businesses last week doing private shopping appointments, the signs really are positive. I mean, if you just look at pennies alone, 275,000 people made an appointment to go to pennies last week for a private shopping appointment and that certainly confirms the desire to return to shopping in stores uh, today but from today you don't need an appointment. Doors are open. Some I know I, oh yeah, I haven't heard as of yet but they were expecting in some of the larger shopping centres and I imagine probably some of the cities that there may be queues outside some of the shops so you need to prepare for that as well. So we wish the best of luck to all of the businesses and to all of the workers heading back to work uh, today and please for all of us how important it is that we remember to support local independent stores. We'll still go into all those heists street chains and they'll be important for various bits and pieces but if you can buy something and give support to a local independent store then please try to do that. And obviously hospitals in uh, Cork say there will be disruption to services today and in the coming days following the cyber attack on the HSE. Thousands of patients, this is just so distressing it's patients all over the country are facing cancelled appointments and they're facing delays in the provision of health services As the HSE are attempting now to rebuild its IT systems uh, following the incident. So just a quick update on what is happening in the local hospitals. Cork University Hospital, patients with an outpatient department appointment uh, for today, chemotherapy appointments, surgery appointments, you should come to the hospital unless you've been contacted and you got cancelled. So if you didn't hear from the hospital, that means you're outpatient department appointment, your chemotherapy, your surgery is all going ahead so turn up please at the expected time. Patients with x-ray appointments they should not attend unless they get contacted and told to attend. And then, unfortunately, all the radiotherapy appointments have been cancelled as well. My heart goes out uh, to any of the cancer patients. It's just dreadful, just dreadful. While at the Cork University Maternity Hospital, gynae clinics all cancelled for today and tomorrow. Patients are reminded that access to the normal IT systems Uh, will be limited. Therefore, CUH have not had the access to the full suite of records. Labs, obviously, are also being severely affected as well. Existing GP bloods, they're not going to be processed at this time. They're only going to do emergency bloods. And management are also at CUH are wishing to remind the public that people should only attend the emergency department in emergency situations. And that even if you do go with an emergency, delays are likely as a result of the current IT situation. And the, hus- the hospital will keep us informed of any changes to the current status and then we will share it with you. And Bantry Hospital, obviously that's also been affected by the cyber attack. As a result, Bantry General Hospital, they've opened a patient helpline to assist with any service queries which members of the public may have in relation to outpatient appointments during the coming weeks. So if you're due to attend an outpatient appointment in Bantry General Hospital, can you ring them first at 86 That's 86 787 One seven six six, And that's for Bantry General Hospital. That helpline will open between 9am and 6pm each uh, day. Needless to say, the hospital are uh, apologising for this, but they want to reassure the public that patients at Bantry General Hospital are receiving all of the appropriate care. Mallow Hospital operating as normal, that's good to report Mercy University Hospital they've asked people to come to the hospital again, similar to CUH unless you're contacted to cancel if you have any of the following appointments though, outpatient department chemotherapy, surgery and endoscope, turn up unless you've heard from the hospital, again they are the same, x-ray appointments have been uh, cancelled unless you're contacted and told to come in, they're only doing emergency bloods as well, South Infirmary Victoria Hospital, they're urging people to attend their appointments again unless contacted, x-rays appointments are cancelled and the COVID-19 vaccination appointments, they are all going ahead as normal and people are urged to please attend the test centres as planned if you have an appointment and community healthcare appointments and services in Cork will continue as scheduled and individuals will be advised if there are any changes. It really is such a challenging time for the HSE if they are weren't already battling with the COVID situation. And then of course we discovered over the weekend the Department of Health has also been the victim of the cyber attack. Shocking. 1850 333 John Paul taking your course. Text or WhatsApp oh eight six two. 103.103 103.
2: Court Today on C103
1: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale
3: now part of McCarthy Insurance Group
1: for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie
3: Social media platforms are allowing the continued cyber bullying of children by refusing to take meaningful action when complaints are made. This claim is made by the ISPCC and Children's Rights Alliance while addressing the Oireachtas Committee on Media. Joining me from the ISP is Fiona Jennings, who is Senior Policy and Public Affairs Manager with the ISPCC. Good morning to you, Fiona. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Are we starting to see more social media platforms aimed at children, thereby recruiting them from a younger age?
4: Thanks very much, Patricia, for having us on to cover this important um, topic. As you said, we were before the, the Iraqis Committee during the week who's looking at this whole area, which is great. Um. Yes, so I suppose a lot of children and young people are on social media, they're very active and perhaps some children are on sites that wouldn't, um, I suppose, be aimed at them. Um, we do have a minimum age of 13 for the majority of the social media apps, I suppose, that, that are currently available. Um, and yes, there are talks of some uh, platforms developing, um, I suppose, platforms for under 13s and um, we don't know a whole lot I suppose around these plans But just that this is what they're talking about presently. Uh, we would have some concerns around um, developing platforms specifically for a younger age cohort. Uh, we know there's already issues with the current platforms that are available that children are accessing um, so to have another type of platform available as well um, I suppose we would have some concerns around that and there is the whole concern that you know, yes, are they, are they developing, you know, you know, new children, I suppose platforms directly aimed at children in order for them to, to get used to those and then to want to migrate in, I suppose, to the, to the older child or adult version of the platform as well.
3: And at the end of the day, for the social media platforms, it's all about making profits, isn't it? I mean, these are big businesses.
4: They're, they're huge businesses yes they have huge businesses they have massive global reach um and you know they, they've become embedded into our lives and a part of our lives and and i suppose in one way um we we probably all use them to to some varying degree Um, and they are a part of our lives and I suppose what we're trying to do in the ISPCC you know, really viewing ourselves as child-centred technology advocates in that we recognise I suppose all the benefits that that are out there Um, and I suppose what we try to do is we try to educate parents and teachers and um, young people themselves around how these technologies actually work how these platforms work um in order that they're they feel better informed to make choices and have an understanding but it can't be all down to that either you know um the creators and developers of these platforms have a huge role to play as well but as you said there is you know they they have huge i suppose you know um financial gains to emerge made from everybody that, um, that, that, that uses their platforms and that's their current business model. Um, and until, I suppose, we have some type of regulation in place um, that this, 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 this business model will continue.
3: Your CEO, John Church, uh, speaking at Adaractis Committee last week, told the story of the 13-year-old little girl, Kate, who rang Childline. Can you share that story with us?
4: Yeah, so that's right. So John, um, our chief executive last week at the committee shared the story of Kate. Um, and Kate is a girl who's 13 years old. And I suppose he shared that story, um, I suppose to highlight, I suppose really it's a typical, you know, young girl who's, you know, actively engaged across multiple platforms. So Kate was into gaming, um, hanging out with her friends, she liked to play piano, you know, you know, chatted across different platforms with her friends and you know, a lot of things that, that pretty much every thirteen year old girls are doing. But I suppose Kate is experiencing um in school bullying and this bullying then moved to online. Um again it, it was started to happen then across all these different platforms that she was that she was active on. Um and I suppose cyberbullying is refer- referred to it as versus traditional forms of bullying, if you like, that th- there isn't really an escape from it. So in the more traditional forms of bullying, when you left the school gate or the, you know, the, the, sports ground or whatever it might be where the bullying was taking place, you kind of had a reprieve from it. Whereas with cyberbullying, you know, messages are, you know, your phone is constantly pinging you, alerting you to the next, you know, kind of cruel message that somebody has said about you or the horrible meme that somebody might have created about you. And the reason that John shared that particular case of Kate was to highlight, I suppose, the the real problem that we're trying to solve in that while all these platforms have particular standards um, in place for how they want people to engage on their platforms, the problem we're seeing is that Children, by the virtue of them being so active across many platforms, being exposed to cyberbullying and, and enduring it, that each example of that you know, cyberbullying incident, if that was reported on its own, it doesn't necessarily meet the threshold for those platforms to say, well, look, that does breach our our, our, our standards and therefore then we'll do something about it. Whereas everything pulled together clearly demonstrates that the child is um, is being cyber bullied and that something needs to be done about it,
3: yeah, and that young girl Kate rang childline because she was suicidal over what what was happening, and I thought his lying that you know she sits alone in a room but not in silence she 's kept company by her phone telling her what 's been said about her I mean the poor child, and in many cases like that, Fiona her parents would be unaware of what's going on inside in her own bedroom.
4: Often, I suppose, often children, I suppose, don't talk to their parents about it. And I suppose when we're talking to parents around how to spot this, it's it's kind of looking for, you know, you know, you know has their child withdrawn? Has their child lost interest in something they might have had interest in previously? Are they not as friendly with children they used to be friendly with? But also as well, um, particularly in relation to cyberbullying, you know, is their phone, you know, you know, pinging a lot more? You know, are they on it a lot more? Are they checking it a lot more? Or maybe they're kind of not engaging with it, you know, how they used to engage with it. Um, so we try to encourage parents to keep an eye out for that type of thing, you know, but understanding as well that, you know, teenagers, by the, the virtue of being teenagers, you know, it, they're at a time where, you know, they want to have a little bit more you know, privacy Mm. and things as well. It's
3: Um, trying to strike the balance, isn't it? It's
4: very much trying to strike that particular balance. And, um, you know, we do say, you know, to try to keep the lines of communication open and try for parents, again, as I said, to kind of spot if there's something going wrong. But also as well, when we talk to children, that we try to encourage them to talk to their parents as well. Some children find that it's easy to talk to their parents maybe their parents are active on social media or they have an interest in it so they kinda of understand the problem whereas some parents or some children feel their parents haven't a clue we'll say
5: mm-hmm.
4: and um they don't necessarily they feel they won't necessarily get what, what what you know what the actual problem is. So um I suppose there's a huge awareness to be done around um around the whole area um you know in ourselves with ourselves in the ISPCC we reached recently launched um what we call a digital ready hub so where we created um a hub that's accessed on our on our website ispcc.ie and you'll see digital hub and this has videos from um experts in the area um, tip sheets, there's a digital ready quiz on it so parents can check their own um, knowledge, um, and, you know, support articles and tip sheets so that, um, parents can, I suppose, try and, you know, develop their own, um, education if you want on the whole online space
3: Yeah and, this, and it's just keeping and I know it can be difficult with teenagers keeping that line of communication uh, going I know some politicians uh, Fiona believe that you know that people should be required to show proof of ID to set up a social media account because you know we're talking about the cut off ages 13 but we know the children under the age of 13 have their own social media accounts because it's very easy just to put in a fake birth date
4: yeah and we know that that children below the age of 13 are, are active on um, yeah. platforms as well that that they they probably shouldn't be on um, and it's it's i mean it's a huge topical area at the moment around the whole area of age verification um um patricia and it's you know how do you tell you know well how do you tell a child is the, is the age they are how do you tell an adult is the age they are is the person they are um and it's, it's 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 a broader discussion i mean there's you know there's people who champion the whole area of privacy and anonymity and the freedom of speech um versus i suppose safeguarding and protection but we don't necessarily see that there should be a tr- it shouldn't be looked at in that in binary terms like that it shouldn't be either or that um we have to find a way where both can coexist uh where we do privacy standards are maintained but that we can't, um, they can't, uh, I suppose we need to have um, protection and safeguarding there as well.
3: Yeah, because self regulation of these social media platforms really hasn't worked, sure it hasn't.
4: It, it hasn't. And I suppose it, we, we've got to a stage now where I suppose the whole kind of reason for self regulation really was, you know, this was a new area, it was a new, you know, there was huge scope for innovation and there was probably a certain. Um, a certain thinking around that, you know, we need this to thrive. We need people not to be restricted in order for them to innovate. But I suppose we, we've reached a point now where um, I suppose things like, you know, what's happening to Kate, there's a lot more things like that happening. And we need to decide there has to be a stronger regulation in the whole area because what's working it, it, it's not, or what's in place currently is just not working.
3: Okay. All right. Listen, um, continue. Good luck with the great work that you do at the ISPCC, particularly at Childline, uh, Fiona. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you Patricia Good morning to you Bye bye That is Fiona Jennings who is ISPCC's Senior Policy and Public Affairs Manager 1850 333 103
2: Court Today on C103
1: With Sean Cusack Insurances Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie
3: Now I have to say I'm going to find this next interview very tough because I find it very hard to talk about any kind of cruelty to animals especially to cats but joining me to discuss what happened to a beautiful little cat in Mallow last week is Jackie Graham, who is with the Community Cats Network. Good morning to you, Jackie. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, sadly, this was Wednesday of last week. You got a call about an injured cat in Mallow. Take up the story from there, please.
6: Yeah, so um, I'm in Mitchell Sound, so I got a call from Mallow about a cat that um, Barry's cat and carry had been feeding on and off for two years. So they thought that he was after getting a belt of a car, um, injured back leg. I was on my way to work, so I couldn't physically get there. So I put out in the field to some other rescues who were closer, and um, Care Rescue in Mallow um, agreed to go out to trap the cat because the woman did try to catch him into a box, but he obviously ran off because he wasn't a pet cat; he was um, a feral cat,
3: and so obviously in a lot of pain.
6: And obviously in a lot of pain. He had the injury with well over a week, possibly longer. Um, The people in Barry's were very kind to him always. They always fed him. And um, they called looking for help. So Care Rescue agreed to go out and they had a cat trap. So the cat was there when they went out. But obviously when the cat saw these strangers, the cat kind of takes off again. So they left the trap with the girl, showed her how to use it. And she was able to trap him then the next day on Thursday. So I had it all arranged with the vet. That they were waiting for him to come in. Um so they brought him in, the cat was sedated, the vet went ahead and did X rays and when the vet rang me like the vet was shocked, I was shocked, um, bullet still left in the leg, um, all the bones completely shattered.
3: The cat had been shot?
6: The cat had been shot, yeah. Yeah. So, um,
3: my God.
6: With a pet cat, you, you have options. You know, you can, you can amputate a leg and the cat can be kept inside. With a feral cat, it's a bit of a different no. situation. They're a wild animal and you have to respect their right to live the, way, the only way they know how. Um, unfortunately, we had to make the decision to put the cat to sleep.
3: Which was the um, most humane thing to do.
6: Yeah, there's no way a cat can survive in the wild on three legs. It, it can't get away from danger. Um, it, it, It's just not possible and you can't expect a cat that's after living wild all his life to be able to adapt into a household situation either without all that extra distress to you do
3: Did you report to the Gardaí, uh, Jack?
6: I did. I did, absolutely. Um, I'm not really familiar with Mallow like I know Mallow but I wouldn't exactly know where everything would be but to my understanding Barry's Cash and Carry is in a residential kind of an area it's not it's
3: not out well, there, the well, there are, well, yeah, well there are houses it's actually close yeah. to here where the radio station is I mean there are yeah. houses around and there are businesses around I mean yeah. and
6: that
3: oh, that how could how, that does, area. how so, does somebody do that to a defenceless animal
6: yeah. I Look I don't know like, we deal, we deal with an awful lot of different situations, but mostly, mostly we get calls from help from people who are genuinely concerned about animals. Um, with most situations, we know what to do. You go in, you trap them, you get them neutered, you release them again, they live happier lives than what they would have done before. Every now and again, we come across a situation that even to us, and we're used to dealing with things, it shocks us to the core, basically. Um this was definitely one of those. I've been volunteering maybe five years. Um this is the first time I've come across a cat myself that's been shot.
4: Um
6: it's deliberate, it's intentional, it's downright cruel. I just I just don't understand the mentality that someone would want to cause to cause that kind of suffering.
3: You know, oh, yeah. the mind boggles. The mind boggles, and yeah, then to think absolutely. of the poor animal in agony for it was a, they reckon about a week before.
6: Yeah, at least a week. The, oh. the the legs, the bones were completely, completely shattered. God
3: right? help, him. God help. him completely So shattered. at least he was well done to the vet and and to yourselves yeah. and to and to Care Rescue. And I'm sure the the gang out in Barrys, Cash Carry, must be very upset as well.
6: They they were, of course, of course they were. You know, they had tried to catch him. Um, one guy had tried to catch him on the Saturday before it, but like you need, you do, you need, you need the equipment to be able to catch him.
3: It's a wild guess. Like, and that's you know, the nature of the work that you guys do at the Community Cats Network. You're a, a, a trap neuter in return. I mean, that's predominantly yeah. what you do, isn't it?
6: Absolutely. We're not a rescue. We don't take in cats. We don't take in kittens. Like we obviously do take in exceptional cases. We take them into our own homes. We foster them. But as a rule, ninety percent of the cats that we deal with are of a wild, wild population. So we go out, we trap, we bring them to the vet. They get health checks, they get neutered, they get fleas, they get wormed, and then we release them back to where they came from initially. Um, you know,
3: and, it, and that works. That works really well, doesn't it? That is like the
6: only humane and proven solution to dealing with the population of cats at the moment. Nobody wants them. But when you kind of explain the benefits. And once they're neutered, like I have people they bring in and they, they, like, they want the cats gone. They don't care what you do with them. They want you to bring them down the road and release them somewhere else. They want you to bring them to bed to put to sleep. We don't do that. We educate them and we get the cats neutered. And like I was at work over the weekend and I met a lady. I had done cats for four years ago. And she told me like the instant relief of having them neutered at the time. Yeah. Was just not to know that you're not going to end up with another ten cats in three months' time. Do You know, people don't ring us when they get the first cat; they wait, and when they have twenty, they ring us in a panic that they
3: don't want yeah, them. And, and we know, we know how you know, proficient they are at at absolutely. getting pregnant and producing another litter. Who was absolutely. answered your, another and Just litter.
6: because they're having kittens doesn't mean those kittens are going to survive anyway.
3: Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, how have you how have you managed during COVID, Jackie?
6: Um, so we are really lucky, um, we're animal welfare, so, um, we were allowed to continue trapping, most okay. of our trappings take places outside anyway, yeah. so like the only thing that we weren't able to go into people's houses, but we, we normally don't anyway, Do you know, so we we were in full steam ahead all the way through. And fun- um,
3: and funding? What did you do? Funding,
6: for- yeah, I was just. Um, it has massively affected the way we can fundraise. We do a lot online. We do a lot of auctions, but we also do, do like street collections, backpacks, locally in the towns that we have. That, that funding is completely gone. So that just makes things a little bit more difficult as well.
3: Do you get any state funding?
6: We do. We get a, a bit of state funding. So um, last year you, we did 1,000 cats, oh And we received... A grant for ten thousand. So, like when you do the sums, like that's brilliant. We're so thankful for it. But when you're dealing with a thousand cats, then like that's ten euros per cat. Um, on average, it costs us fifty euros to to neuter a cat.
3: Yeah, yeah.
6: Do you know, so just uh, you still have to make up a fair bit.
3: And you're based in Mitchellstown and uh, Community Cats is it's a Cork-based charity, is it?
6: It's, it's Cork based. Um, I'm in Mitchellstown, so I cover, I cover anyway, Mallow. I go off my Valley maybe as far as where and then on the other side, because Mitchellstown is border kind county, I go as far as Tipperary Town on the other side. Um, Maggie and Jim are in West Cork and we have another trapper, Rosie, in the city. So we try our best. Um, cover as
3: much ground as possible. Well done, well done. You're but obviously you're a huge cat lover, Jackie. <laughs> I am. I was I got my first cat when I was about
6: ten, He's a yeah. Thomas Yeah. And I, I just I felt completely, completely in
3: love. Um and it's just to imagine anyone being cruel to it, to these beautiful, beautiful animals.
6: Um we deal with the worst of people and the worst of human behaviour, but we also deal with the best. Yeah. And honestly, without the support, we wouldn't be able to do what we can do. And I
3: can hear some people. Heidi says, Good morning, Patricia. Oh my God, listening to the story. Why all this cruelty to animals? Uh, Do they really think that this poor cat has no feelings? What is wrong with these humans? I hope they never have any peace. There is never any need or excuses for this treatment to any animal. It is outrageous, says Heidi. And Killette says, "Uh, Jackie is such a kind person. She's helped me so much. I couldn't say enough about her. I would say to people, please donate to her charity community. Cats Network. They do amazing uh, work. Uh, Listen, Jackie, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that and thank you for all that you did for that poor cat last week and continue. Good luck with your charity thanks so much thanks for joining us bye, bye 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 Jackie Graham there from Mitchestown on behalf of Community Cats Network and just I could not believe I, I mean when I heard about this cat I thought it like, like as Jackie and the gang in Barry's cat Carrie thought it had been hit by a car but to think that it had been shot and then the agony that that cat was in for the week before it was eventually trapped and taken to the vet and humanely uh, put to sleep Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. jump John Paul taking your calls so you can text her WhatsApp zero eight six two one.
2: 103, 103. Cork today on C one hundred and three with Sean Cusack
1: Insurance's Kinsale. now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. Cmig.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
3: Now at the start of the programme I mentioned that the green light was expected to come from NIAC on the recommendation of the Johnson & Johnson, the AstraZeneca for people aged 40 to 49, Well, I'm just being told that NIAC has recommended the use of both of those uh, vaccines for people over the age of 40. Now there's a number of conditions that have been attached to the recommendation and the government decision now is some days off. The government now have to sign off on it but we know that the government did ask NIAC to look at Johnson & Johnson and Astra Zeneca for people aged 45 to 49, and we also know that the recommendation had been supported by the Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Tony uh, Holohan. Uh, so it was just waiting on NIAC to give the OK, and then for the government to sign off on it. So we can expect that that's going to happen sooner rather than later, and it just means for people aged 40 to 49, they will end up getting their vaccine. Sooner now rather than later. The fact that the Johnson and Johnson and AstraZeneca can both now will both now be used in that age group. And as we mentioned earlier, the portal for the forty to forty nine year olds, in order for them to register online or over the phone, that's expected to open. I imagine it could open at the end of this week. If not, certainly, it'll begin early next uh, a week. And the Johnson and Johnson, because we know there's a huge amount of Johnson and Johnson expected into the country in June, and that's th- the one we've heard a game changer when it when it comes to describing a vaccine before but that's the one that really is the game changer because people go along and they get a Johnson and Johnson they get one jab and then two weeks later they're fully vaccinated so people getting a Johnson and Johnson in the coming weeks will be vaccinated fully vaccinated way ahead of people who got their first AstraZeneca a couple of months ago, or even people who got their Pfizer jab because people who get the Pfizer jab have to wait four weeks to get the second uh, jab. So we'll await on the government decision on that. But it is, it is expected now that both Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca will be used on the 40 to 49 uh, year olds. And staying on vaccines, Anne was on to say, which please advise your listeners, if they're travelling to Killarney, to go to the vaccination centre in Killarney and there has been a number of people in the North Cork area have been sent back to Killarney to get their jab that there are roadworks in Rathmore and there's a diversion in place so you need to allow extra time and the one thing about the vaccination centres, is they ask you to please turn up on time. Don't turn up too early but don't turn up late either. So if you're travelling back to Killarney for a vaccination jab allow extra time because of those roadworks in Rathmore. Hi Patricia, this is John Finbar. I hope you are well after getting your vaccination. I'm feeling fine, thank you very much. I hope your daughter had a great birthday and had a great day with her grandmother. She did and you know, I actually I got a gorgeous photograph of them hugging because they're both Dean, while Marsha has had her first AstraZeneca but her grandmother is fully vaccinated now and has gone past the period after her second shot of being fully vaccinated. So they were allowed to hug each other and I got a gorgeous photograph of the first hug and I have to say it was all, I think we were all a little bit emotional because they physically haven't been together since September of last year. So it's a a long time to be without a hug from your grandmother. So it was lovely. That was really nice. So thank you John Finber. We had a lovely day. Uh, Graham says, Patricia, I'm getting my first vaccine tomorrow in Mallow. I registered on the 8th of the 5th and I'll be getting the Pfizer jab tomorrow. I'm absolutely delighted, which is about the same timeline as well. It's about 10-11 days from when you registered. That's what I waited as well, Graham, and I got mine on Saturday. So good luck with your vaccine jab tomorrow. Margaret said, glad to hear you got on so well at your vaccine. I also like you suggested, took Panadol before I went in over a week ago. And you mentioned retail opening today and would there be queues outside shops? Well, I can confirm, says Margaret, there was a queue going into Wilton Shopping Centre in Cork uh, this morning thanks for that uh, Margaret someone says great to see stores opening but there are no fishing rooms open in Dunn's very bad service no no I'd be very slow to say that that is very bad service I think during when all of the shops have been opened they've closed certainly the larger department stores have closed the fishing rooms and I actually can understand why the fishing rooms are closed I mean if you were to allow fishing rooms to be open it it would mean after every customer went in, they would then have to have a member of staff go in and clean down the area. There'd be a, there'd be huge delays waiting for each fishing room to be cleaned down and sanitised before the next person could go in. And in fairness to all of those department stores, including Dunn's, they have a really good service for returning. You can take your items home, try them on, see if you like them, see if they fit. And if they don't fit, you don't like them, bring them back. You know, I mean, they have a great returns policy. So, no, I'm very, I would be very slow to agree with you on that to say that it is very bad service. Hi, Patricia, hope you enjoyed mash 's birthday. We did. I'm just wondering, you said you were doing afternoon tea. I was. Any recommendations in Mallow where you can get takeaway afternoon tea? I didn't even think about getting takeaway afternoon tea. There was only ourselves and, and so I did. I, I did it ourselves. So there was only a few of us. Um, I don't know. Does anybody has, has anybody know a good recommendation for afternoon tea in the Mallow area? I'm sure I mean, there's a lot of really good coffee shops in Mallow. Now, I don't know whether they do afternoon tea. The Hibernian Hotel in Mallow also has a coffee dog. Do they offer afternoon tea? I don't know. Let's see if we can get a suggestion for you please. In the Mallow area takeaway afternoon tea can anybody give a recommendation, please? 1850 333 On vaccines, Mary from Rockchapel says, I'm getting my vaccine today in Mallow. It is a great feeling. I'm really looking forward to a good summer, says uh, Mary. Yeah, absolutely, Mary, it is. It's the most, I, listen, I was giddy with excitement, I have to say. Because even when I, when I bounced into the nurse, and that was now after standing out in the rain for nearly an hour, um, when I bounced in, she said, how are you feeling? And I said, I have butterflies in my stomach. I actually, I, I felt at once it once had a knot in my stomach. I was in the queue, I started doing breathing to say relax. I was just that excited at the thought of getting the vaccine and getting onto that journey of being fully vaccinated. So Mary from Rock Chapel, I am with you and I can understand your sense of excitement. Best of luck uh, today. Now, uh, a different Mary then says, Hi, just attaching a message I've received on my phone this morning. And it's a message to say, Era Verify, E-I-R-E, because when you look at the first. I thought it was AIR as in the phone company, but it's AIRA. AIRA verified. And the text message reads, we have received your order and it's now ready to be forwarded to your address. Follow the instructions here and there's a link for you to click on. Well, back in, I'm sure it started in January, there was a hashtag doing the rounds of this era verify uh, because it is a scam text. And they actually tied it in with, because it started in, I don't know if it was around late last year, but it certainly kicked in in January and they tied it in with Brexit. It was very clever of them. They tied it in with Brexit and they also tied it in with the number of people because we were in lockdown in January, the number of people that were buying items and were having parcels delivered both parcels from overseas and parcels from companies in Ireland. So there was lots and lots and lots of people waiting on parcels and lo and behold this scam would arrive telling you your package was there. Now in some cases it was small amounts of money they were looking for like, you know, I saw one text where they were looking for one ninety nine, saying, you know, that it was to do with tax on your, because of Brexit and all of that. And of course the whole idea was that you send down the money and then they get access to your bank account. So please be very, very careful as I say it it was certainly around in January. It was around in February. I don't think I've heard about it since. But lo and behold, here we have it. As I say, if you go on Twitter and put in the hashtag, hashtag Air Verify, you'll see a lot of other people receive the very same text. I don't know how many people got caught out with it or not, but certainly it's absolutely a scam. So, well... Mary copped it straight away but I think where where people got caught was if you were expecting a package and a lot of people have got packages since Brexit from England and have had to pay extra VAT and extra tax and of course you do it with the normal courier companies and everything's above board and you pay for it and all of that. So if people are expecting a package, they may think, oh, that must be my package that's coming from such and such a company. And you go on and you click. So don't click the link. Just delete the text. But yes, so it's doing the rounds again. Era E-I-R-E, era Verify telling you that your order has arrived. Delete immediately. 1850 333 103. John Paul's taking your calls and somebody says, Patricia, the Hyperlion Hotel, do a fab afternoon tea takeaway for your listener. It is actually great uh, value. And someone suggests, what about Springford Hall? They've got their lovely coffee shop. Uh, Surely they do afternoon tea. Do they do it as a takeaway? I don't know. But there's another suggestion. Thank you for that. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C 103 three jobs recovery truck wanted it's for a 7.5 truck lorry in the Fomoy area and it's a a recovery truck driver wanted. Sheffer cook is wanted for immediate start, that's in Bandon, while Lucy Motors they have an immediate start for qualified and part qualified mechanics. And a chef is wanted for a busy restaurant in the Sheep's Head Peninsula. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to our website c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103.
2: Court today on C103.
1: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, CMIG.ie.
3: The chances of a young adult owning their own home in Ireland have more than halved in the last 10 years. The percentage of people aged 25 to 39 owning their own home has dropped from 22% in 2011 to now standing at under 12% when it comes to social housing the numbers are even higher with 33% more households looking for social housing and that's only since 2016. Social Justice Ireland believe there are solutions and joining me from there is Colette Bennett who's their economic and social analyst. Good morning to you, Good morning Patricia. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. Do we simply just not have enough social housing units in this country at the moment?
0: Absolutely. Um, we certainly are of the view that the target for social housing should be 20% of all housing stock. At the moment, it's between 8 and 9%. So we need double what we currently have just to stand still. Um, so within our proposals that we made on, on Monday of last week... We're looking for that doubling of social housing stock over the next 10 years. And we mean proper social housing as opposed to leasing um, or renting on the private housing market. That's actually just costing the state far more money than it needs to be spending.
3: And because of those stats that I gave at the beginning on people, young couples in particular and even young single people who normally a generation ago would have been saving, would have had their deposit, would have bought their own house. But we, you know, we see what's happening with the housing situation for young couples trying to buy. There's now a cohort of people who a generation ago wouldn't have wouldn't have been in the queue for a social housing who suddenly now are.
0: Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the the latest round of social housing statistics that came out, over half of the people on that list are single adult households. um, And they are very much unlikely to be able to afford their own home. Um, you know, even if there's an increase in their, their incomes or anything like that, because the market is made and the policies that back it are made for couples and are made for two earner households. Um, so, and even those, as you say yourself, even though the two earner households are being priced out of the market at the moment because there isn't enough affordable housing being built that we've, we've created this system that has, has encouraged investment, has encouraged large scale investment through tax breaks. Um, to come in and to be able to purchase household or, or sorry housing, um, that just puts it out of reach and it maintains these artificially high house prices.
3: And of course, all the investors and the cuckoo funds that come in, they want people to stay renting because that's how they make their money.
0: Absolutely. So, I mean, unless something is done in relation to that, and again, it's part of our 10-point our plan to deliver housing for all, unless something is done in relation to closing the tax loopholes for these large-scale investments and these REITs, as they're, as they're known, um, those prices, both rent and house prices, house purchase prices, because they're both connected, they are going to stay artificially high and there is no reason for it. You know, construction costs are not keeping the the prices high. and um, We've enough land owned by the state for, for over 414,000 uh, homes and, yes, House prices have gone up. Rents have gone up.
3: Okay, Social Justice Ireland, you've set out what it's a ten-point plan to deliver housing for all. Uh, talk me through what what you're suggesting.
0: Certainly. Um, so what we did was I, back in in 2019, we did a review of the current housing strategy, the, the rebuilding Ireland. And we found it lacking over all five pillars. But if those five pillars were actually properly underpinned with policies, they would be very effective. So we, we basically modelled our ten point plan on that. So the first one would be around addressing homelessness. Um, and and what we are suggesting is very strongly is to expand the housing first to families. So what Housing First does is it's it's designed for homeless adults with additional support needs. So those who experiencing addiction problems um, or mental health issues, that they get some accommodation, some sustainable accommodation with wraparound services to support them so they get access to the, the support, the health supports that they need. We're saying that that needs to be extended out to families. So that children in those families and parents in those families are getting the support they need as well. A very interesting study was done in Canada that has had housing first for years um, and it has found that children that are sorry, adults that experience homelessness in childhood still have difficulties to this day in adulthood um, keeping track of accommodation. So there's a real issue for children and we know that there are 3,000 children and young people under 25. Um, accessing emergency homeless accommodation. So the first thing we would ask is that the housing force principles are extended and the wraparound services. And that
3: that cycle has to be broken for those children.
0: Exactly, yeah. exactly that. Um, so the second one then would be to to acquire an equity stake in properties that are in mortgage distress. Um, so long term mortgage arrears, and we know, for example, that ninety two percent of all mortgage arrears are are owed on long term mortgage. These are a uh, the vast majority of these are a over from the 2008 crash we're looking at another economic fallout, we're looking at more drops in income we can't afford to have those still there and it would also increase the, the state's housing stock and support these households we're looking for a build, and um, as I said, we need to, to double the the social housing stock. So we're looking to build over fourteen thousand social homes each year um, for the next ten years, and that would require an annual investment of three point three billion. We're looking for a prohibition on the sale of state lands that is suitable for residential development. And um, so, you know, we we have seen this absolutely bizarre turn of events, where local authorities and state agencies. Are selling lands to private developers and then leasing them back over 25 years at extortionate rates. So we're being caught on both sides of that transaction. And um, so we're looking at, you know, of that 414,000 plus housing units, the, 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 the available land there. At least some of that is, is used, and that it's retained within the ownership of the state to bring the cost of properties down. And um, we're also looking to ensure that approved housing bodies or AHBs, as, as they're known, retain their housing stock as social housing and where they want to sell it, that they're prohibited from selling it on the, the private market, that they sell it to other um, approved housing bodies or to local authorities so that it stays as social housing stock. Um, so we know, for example, that some AHBs that might have a very specific group that they, they might be, you know, for people with, with disabilities or for pe- for older people and some of their housing stock, stock is very old and probably not fit for purpose anymore. We're not saying they can't sell. What we're saying is they can't sell on the open market, but they would, would look for a buyer within uh, the social housing area. Um, to keep all, it for
3: social housing going forward.
0: Exactly, yeah. exactly that. And we're looking to address the housing affordability on the supply side rather than in looking at demand side. And what that, that basically means is that rather than giving incentives like help to buy schemes and like um the, the proposed of the shared equity scheme, that what that does is it incentivizes and it artificially increases the incomes of usually couples, um, usually first time buyers and buying. You know, new properties. But what it's me, what it means is, and what it's been proven in the case of the help to buy, is that it's, it's disproportionately um, benefiting those on higher incomes, and it's also keeping the cost of housing high. So what we're looking to do is. Do it from the other side. Look at the supply side. Bring the costs down on that side, and that comes down to, to you know, for, for some taxation around and um, around the sites, um, and for others it's in relation to the construction costs and the markup that's been made there. Um, we're also looking to close all the tax loopholes, as I said, for those large scale. Okay, every, everyone
3: will agree with that one.
0: I'd imagine at this yeah. stage, yes. Um, to invest in property inspections in in on the rented sector because, you know, we know that what that rent prices are, are going through the roof and yet, you know, a maximum of ten percent per year is being inspected, of those the majority, and I'm talking over the ninety percent, are found to be non compliant. So there's no point in spending thirty, forty, fifty, up to seventy percent of your disposable income for Somewhere that you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to live. You
3: wouldn't, you know. But then, the what we what, what we it. find, Kalash, if anybody contacts us, people are afraid to complain because they say, you know, it's the roof over my head.
0: Of course they are. So, you know, if it was enforceable, if these rental inspections were actually ramped up and enforced, then. You know, it's it's not the tenant, it's not the onus isn't on the tenant to do something about it, it's actually the state that's enforcing it. Mm. Um, we also need to legislate to increase tenant protection, so exactly like that, to reduce that risk and that fear that you'll be kicked out for raising your head about you know, a moldy a moldy bathroom or, or a you know, broken windows and um, that you can actually and then then to introduce long term leases because again we know that people are renting into older age, they need some security at tenure, they're going to be losing um even a proportion of their income once they hit retirement age because we know that the level of pension isn't great in this country. Um, So we're looking for for some sort of security for people who are renting into their older age. And then finally, in relation to the Ten Point Plan, is the investment in services and infrastructure to support housing development, and particularly um, social housing development. So we hear one of the arguments against building social housing and you know, not having mixed tenure development. So one of the arguments against that um, is that, oh, they just turn into ghettos. Housing doesn't of itself turn into ghettos. People don't turn their homes into ghettos. It's not about the people in social housing. It's not about the housing themselves. It's about the complete and utter lack of state support in relation to what is actually needed. So things like health care, things like proper education, things like um, you know community policing, all of those things are necessary in a functioning society. They're there in more affluent areas are lacking in, so, in social housing areas and that's where the problem is.
3: And, uh, and we saw during the pandemic the emergency housing policies that were put in place, you know, like the ban on, on, on evictions and stopping people having rent uh, increases. So, you know, we, we are able to put protections in place when we need to do it.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, we've seen, we saw almost immediately that those types of protectionist policies have a really positive impact on people's stability in terms of their housing, you know, in terms of their security. So we saw a reduction in the numbers of people accessing emergency accommodation. It's still too high. It's still over 8,000 people. But there has been a real concerted effort in terms of, of families in particular um, where there has been decreases. Um, and, you know, we, we saw that people in, in rented accommodation, that they had better security at tenure. These things can be done, um, but it's down to political will to make them longer term.
3: Yeah, and I think because, you know, everyone is almost accepting we've got a generation of young people who won't own their homes where where previous generations did. And because of that, those tenant protections you spoke about and those long term leases, they're going to be more important than ever going forward.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, most European countries have a a, a very vibrant rented sector. We were never set up for that. We we very much concentrated on home ownership. We're very much lagging behind in terms of tenant protections because of that. But what we're seeing year on year, um, certainly as, as the data is is coming out, is that more and more people are in the private rented sector for longer. Um, there's less and less home ownership. And you know, if we have to strike, you know, if we're, we're meant to strike the proper balance in relation to this. Yes, we need to to tackle affordability, but we also urgently need to address tenant protection.
3: Okay, there are solutions there for sure. Listen, uh, Colette, I enjoyed that. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you so much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Colette Bennett. And Colette is the Economic and Social Analysis with Social Justice uh, Ireland and uh, making a lot of sense with their 10-point plan on delivering housing to all. 1850-333-103, John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103, 103
2: Court today on C103.
1: With John Cusack Insurances consale Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. C-M-I-G dot I-E.
3: Now I want to bring you what is really a heartfelt email from one of our listeners who doesn't want to be identified and when you hear the email uh, you'll understand why. But just to give you the background to this, this is to do with adoption and giving a baby up for adoption a number of years ago and it ties in with something I mentioned last week on the programme and I'm assuming that's why this lady who we're just calling Lucy, not her real name uh, contacted us. I mentioned last week that adopted people will be able to have access to their birth certs and that's irrespective of the wishes of the birth mother and this is under a law that's going to be introduced by the government. Now there are thousands of people across Ireland and abroad have been waiting for this law to be introduced and access to birth certificates. It'll be facilitated by way of a mechanism where the surviving birth mothers can register their consent or their opposition to being contacted, but they can't veto the process. In cases where the mother, the birth mother has registered her opposition and says, I don't want the son or daughter who I gave birth to so many years ago up for adoption I don't want to be contacted by them the person seeking their birth search, they will attend a meeting they'll be told they'll be given their birth search, which obviously will have their birth mother's name on it they'll then be told the wishes of the parent it'll be outlined that your birth mother doesn't want to contact and they obviously will be cancelled and spoken to about the need to respect the, the mother's privacy rights uh, will, be, will be emphasised um, and then the information will be released to them. But there's no sanctions for anyone who then goes on to contact the birth mother against their status, status wishes. The law won't cover that they will just be advised that your birth mother doesn't want any contact for whatever reason I don't know whether the reasons are stated or not and then it will be up to uh, the the child and our adult child uh, to decide what they want to do Anyway so that's the genesis and the reason why Lucy has contacted us and her email reads as follows For obvious reasons when you read my email you will understand why I don't want you to identify me or to identify where I live I'm writing to you reacting to the news that adopted people will now be allowed access to their birth certs and therefore the names of their birth mother. The reason that this fills me with dread is because of a secret, a secret that I have now kept for 40 years. In 1980, as a teenager, I became pregnant. I don't want to say how, but all you need to know was it wasn't a romantic liaison. My parents organised me to go to now what is now one of the infamous mother and baby homes, where, by the way, I was treated really well. But then it was 1980 and times had changed. My school friends believed I had gone away to boarding school, as did other family members and all of our neighbours. The only ones who knew my dirty secret was my mother and my father, who both now have sadly passed away. So I am now the only one carrying the secret and my plan has always been to carry this secret to the grave. Forty years ago, I gave birth to a healthy baby boy and he was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. But I could never be his mother and I could never give him the life he deserved. So I placed him for adoption. And in exactly one week after his birth, I walked away and I've never laid eyes on him again. My life returned to normal. I went on to college. I got a job. I met a wonderful man. I got married and went on to have three more healthy children, thank God, who are today my world. My problem is none of them and I mean none of them, and that includes my husband, knows about the little baby that I gave birth to 40 years ago. So you can imagine my dread at the thought that this baby, now a grown man, could turn up at my doorstep. The reason I'm writing to you is to appeal to adopted adults listening to your programme today. If they find out that their birth mother doesn't want contact, then please respect that. Sometimes secrets are best left as secrets. I truly hope that my son has led a full, a happy and a productive life and maybe he's not even interested in finding out the details on his birth cert. I do often think about him and I wish him nothing but happiness but coming into my life now could lead to untold misery. I'm sure I'm not on my own in sharing my story and that there are many other birth mothers who now live in fear of people finding out about a mistake that happened many, many years, indeed now decades ago. We agreed to adoptions on the basis that our identity would never be revealed. Why are we now being portrayed? Thank you for reading this rather long email but i have to share my concerns with somebody kind regards and that's lucy in brackets not my real uh name ah oh, that's a, a it really is a, a tough a, a tough one and i do think lucy is right when she says she is probably not on her own that there uh, there are other birth mothers who gave children up for adoption and the secret has remained a secret from other family members And we know sometimes that after somebody has passed away, it turns out that an adopted child comes, steps forward. And for whatever reason, it's too late. The birth mother has already passed away and the secret almost died with her. But it's a kind of it's a real dilemma, I think, for the adopted child who. Roderick O'Gorman is bringing forward the Minister of Responsibility, he's he's the Minister for Children, he's bringing forward this uh, legislation and and as he said when he made the announcement uh, last week, that the there are thousands of people across Ireland and of course abroad because children were adopted out of this country as well and there are thousands of them who are waiting for this law to be introduced because for many adopted people, while the majority of adopted people went on to have exactly what Lucy says in her letter, very happy, productive lives. You know, they went on to families and they were much loved and much wanted and for a lot of adopted uh, people. That's it. They look on their adopted parents as their parents and they never look for anything else. But there are many others who want that link, who feel that they've, I think it's the need to know who you are. I think more than anything, it's not that they're necessarily looking for anything from their birth mother, their birth father or their birth family, but just... I think it's a need to know where you belong. I remember once interviewing a person who was adopted and who spoke about reconnecting with um, her birth mother. And now it was something that didn't work out, but she just felt she she needed to connect. And she went on to discover that there was half siblings. She had two other sisters and and a brother. And I remember her sitting actually in the studio opposite me talking about. And she said for the first time in her life, she looked at somebody who looked like her. And there was one sister in particular who really looked like her. And she said it was the most bizarre situation to be in because she she said she'd grown up all of her life and nobody ever looked like her. You know the way in families we all look like there's somebody we look like and not to have that. And she said she knows it didn't in any way take from her life but she said it played on her all the time that nobody, she nobody that she that looked like her, and uh, she, you know, she'd reconnect it, but it didn't work out with her birth mother. But she did go on to have a good relationship with with her siblings. And sometimes that that's what can happen. The birth mother maybe just can't. It's not that she can't accept the adopted adult, but when you give up a child, it's a very difficult thing to do. But then I think in Lucy's case to have lived with that. And not to have shared it with anyone and now I don't know whether when her parents were alive she ever spoke about it or was it something the parents helped her to go to the mother and baby home to give the child up for adoption, then she came home, resumed her life, went on to college, went on to marry. Was it something that was never spoken about even with her parents, who now sadly have passed away so she can't even talk to them uh, about it. But she is filled with dread at the thought that there could be a phone call or a knock on a door and a 40-year-old man standing there saying, I am the child that you gave up for adoption. Your thoughts welcomed uh, on it. My gut instinct would be to talk to your family to talk to your husband to talk Now I don't know the, I don't know the family but my gut instinct would be to do something like that to not to carry it's, an, it's, an, it's a dreadful secret to carry around with you and, and I, I, it saddens me when I see you write a dirty secret it's not a dirty secret it's just you gave birth that's all you did you gave birth to a beautiful little human being, a beautiful little baby. It was just we were led to believe that that was so wrong and it was the way society was and the church's influence in this country and a child born out of wedlock, as it would have even back in 1980, is what it would have been known as. There's nothing wrong with it. All you did was give life, you gave life to a gorgeous little baby who as you said was the most beautiful thing you'd ever laid eyes on and he has hopefully gone on as you say to lead a happy and a productive life and he's a wonderful young man somewhere now maybe with children of his uh, own. So don't call it a dirty secret because it's not, it's a secret but it's a secret that I think my instinct would be to try to share it with uh, someone but you know i don't know your your husband and i don't know your children and i don't know how it would be accepted but anyway you are right you are not on your own there's many others who are in the very same dilemma as you and it is a dilemma and who are probably lying awake at night knowing that this law is going to be introduced and are probably worried that there will be a, a knock on the door. So we'll, we'll see what other listeners have to say and if they have advice for you and what, what they suggest that you uh, could do. And also to adopted people because that's what Lucy is writing to us mainly to try to say to adopted people, if you did go forward and you got your birth cert and it has your mum's uh, your birth mum's name on it, and you specifically hear at that meeting that your mother does not your birth mother does not want you contact them, con- to be contacted would you then agree to that wishes or would you as i say there's no sanctions uh, against you Going against your mother's, your birth mother's uh, wishes, but I'm wondering where adopted people would stand on that. 1850 333 103, your lines are open. Your thoughts are welcomed, please, particularly with words of advice for Lucy. And you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. On that text message that I read out about Air Verify and it was to say you had a parcel you need to click on a link. A number of people have been on to say I got that very same text last week so it does look like it is doing the rounds again because it certainly was around in January and in February and then it seemed to have disappeared because I think people started copping on and word went out that this was a scam but now it is it is it's around again at the moment, so look out. It's Era Verify, is what it is. It looks like it's coming from a courier uh, company. Jerry in Abandon said, I, I got the following uh, text also saying, Your parcel has been held at our shipping centre. Please follow instructions here. I removed the dodgy looking link that came next. All I've ordered recently is something from Amazon UK, uh, but uh, with but as you go on it looks for your bank t- bank account details so I knew immediately that it was a scam. Tom in Donnerail says I received that text too. I ordered nothing so I knew instantly it was a scam but it is good to alert people and let people know about it. 1850 103. We were advising people who were going to Killarney for to go into Killarney to get their vaccination to be careful that there are delays at Rathmore somebody said that there's actually the, the road is actually closed somebody says as far as they know the road is closed so there are diversions in place which means that you, it is going to add to your journey to Killarney if you're coming back via Mal or going from the North Cork uh, area and afternoon tea we were looking for suggestions for afternoon tea Hi Patricia the person looking for suggestions for afternoon tea in Mallow. Thanos and super Value. well I did not know that they do a super 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 afternoon tea if somebody is interested in that and it was in the Mallow area so thank you for that OK I need to take a break a lot of texts coming in we'll get to those I promise you afternoons at, at 12 also looking for your questions for Annalise Drussell our nutritional therapist if you have a question you can get those in John Paul is, take, are taking, is taking the calls 1850 you can text or WhatsApp 103, 103
2: Cork today on C103
1: with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. See mig.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
3: Now can I just, I'll go back to this again because it came up on the programme on... Friday, and John Paul says we're getting more, we're getting some more calls, not many calls, but some calls in again about it. And this is to do with people who are nervous about going for a COVID jab in case something goes wrong. And uh, God forbid you get a serious side effect, which is a very, very rare occurrence, can I emphasize? And there's a rumor went around, it's one of these kind of fake news stories, that your health insurance won't cover you for any after effects of the vaccine. And we have had responses back in from both Leah and VH. Now to reiterate firstly Leah as with any health related illness where treatment is deemed medically necessary our members will be covered subject to their schemes and level of cover including the side effects from COVID-19 are from a COVID-19 vaccine and VHI in fairness to them on Friday when we put it to them they were first in with a response saying that VHI will pay for, for medically necessary treatment in the event of a complication arriving for the administration of a COVID-19 vaccine. It just to me, it's one of those fake stories that is doing the rounds and it's just adding to further fear to people going forward for their, vac- for their vaccine on the very, very slim chance that you would have a serious uh, side effect. So I am glad to reiterate that and get that message out to people. 1850 103 and just staying on vaccines Somebody heard me say that I was delayed, that we had a wait of about an hour. There was, they were running an hour beforehand at the Mallow Vaccination Centre on Saturday. And somebody says, uh, Patricia, where did you say you went for your COVID injection uh, on Saturday, that you to queue for a long time? I'm going to Mallow tomorrow. I just want to be uh, prepared in case there is a wait. Thanking you. Yes, I was in the Mallow Vaccination Centre, which is the GAA uh, Hall. And it was only on Saturday because I'd heard of people on Friday that were in and out half an hour, 45, five minutes. And I'm assuming it was the same yesterday. They just unfortunately had a problem as they started to do the vaccines on Saturday morning. It seemed to me to be some kind of a computer system and they couldn't get online to do the to do the registration. Nothing to do with the hacking thing that had gone on at the HSE or the Department of Health. It seems to just be a locally based uh, issue, assuming their broadband or something uh, went down. So that was the reason for it. But certainly anyone last week when I was speaking about Mallow, lots of people were saying in and out because it's a, when you get there, you'll see how efficient it all is from the minute you drive on to the Mallow GAA, caragoon property. There's somebody there directing you where to park when you get out of your car, where you go, the security all over the place. They have a really good queuing system in place. So you shouldn't, everything going according to plan, you should be in and out and you won't be queuing outside for long. But obviously with the way the weather is at the moment, and you can't allow for something going wrong, bring an umbrella with you is the other thing. And and also, I think in some cases, people are turning up early. They're asking people, you don't turn up until your designated appointment time. And there's actually signs saying that you stay in your car. I think the security guy told me is about well, you stay in your car until five minutes before you're due and then you... Head, head, head over queue up and in you go and there shouldn't be if everybody turns up on time and at five minutes approach the building then it should all flow quite nicely so please God you'll be fine and you, you'll get on okay and I'm also interested to hear from another was a couple of people who'd contacted us last week who got appointments at the weekend in the city. A lot of 2,000 people in total from both North Cork and West Cork. And these were in the 60 to 69 cohort were sent to the city to get their vaccinations. They were trying to look like they were trying to finish off the over 60s at the weekend. And they were sending them to City Hall and to Porky Creeve. And some couples had contacted us who got appointments three hours apart. And when you got onto the HSC, they were saying, no, they're the slots, we can't change the slot times. But we had been advising people to travel together and to go into the vaccination centre together and plead your case because we had heard from other vaccination centres not at the weekend, but over the last couple of weeks, that when somebody turned up with somebody else who had an appointment for later on, actually one person had an appointment for a couple of days' time and the fact that they were registered and ready to go and had their photo ID with them, they took them in and and they vaccinated them. So I'm interested to hear from any, because we know we had a number of couples who said that's what they were going to do, rather than head to the vaccination centre and then have to wait three hours for the other Couple, the other part of the couple to head in. So I'd be interested to hear from any of those couples if you did go, did you get vaccinated at the same time? And hopefully uh, you did. Uh, Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Now, number of people reacting to the email I received from uh, Lucy, who is in a dilemma. She's very upset, she's dreading the fact that adopted people are now able to have access to their birth certs irrespective of the wishes of the birth mother and she had a little baby 40 years ago, gave it up for, for adoption and nobody knows about this baby and she's gone on to marry and she has three children and she is, dread was the word she used, living in dread that people would find out. The only others that knew about this baby were her mum and dad and they have both sadly passed away. Some of your thoughts coming in on uh, this. Somebody says, Patricia, what about the birth father? Well, the birth father's name won't be on the birth cert, as we know when women gave their children up for adoption. It was only the father's was always, I think in all cases, it was left blank. Again, it was the, the Times. Liz says, knowing your ancestry can be a medical necessity. This lady is wrong to deny her son that opportunity to get all of his medical background. And then one listener, there's no name on this, but one listener who's who's upset by Lucy's the way Lucy phrased her email and some of the terminology she, she used, and this is obviously a person who has been adopted, says, Hi Patricia, how can the words sturdy secret and mistake be used about anyone? That's so insensitive and so upsetting. I've had health issues with no background information and my kids obviously are the same. My lineage was stolen from me. I don't have contact with my birth family anymore. There are legal ways to stop contact if she needs it, but this In inverted commas, mistake and dirty secret deserve better than to be described as such. There are sanctions. Of course there are. It's normal legal sanctions. We are adoptees. We're not criminals. Please don't assume we are. I'm disappointed that you feel we are more likely to be criminals than anybody else. Maybe the use of such language like mistakes, etc. can make people think they can say what they like as if they are subhuman. This email has caused me great upset this morning. Her rights have taken precedent over my right to health information and to know who my father is. And that's somebody who is uh, adopted. And I don't in any way think when Lucy sent in the email that she was she was going to cause upset to anyone but I I absolutely accept I was uncomfortable even and I just felt that she had sent this email so it was only right and proper that I read the way she was phrasing things but that was the one point I tried to make that this isn't a dirty secret this isn't a mistake you just happened to get pregnant you brought a little life into the world that's all she did she's absolutely guilty of nothing but she lived in an era where she was made to believe that she was guilty of something and she's carried that with her for the last uh, 40 years. Somebody else says I'd like to remain anonymous but I'd like to comment on that adoption story. That lady should be ashamed of herself. She is the one that has been selfish. Now I have sympathy for that 40 year old man. I certainly wouldn't have sympathy for her. Hi Patricia I have a friend who had a baby out of wedlock and that was the phrase that was used again all those years ago and her mother wouldn't allow her to visit home while she was pregnant. Why? In case the neighbours would see her pregnant and then pass judgement. She gave the baby up for adoption and as your Lucy writing to you. Wrote She wrote it off as a mistake. She was shunned by the married mothers in the Cork Hospital during her stay where she went to deliver and indeed afterwards. God, isn't that shocking. She was advised not to see the baby for fear that she would bond with it. It was dreadful. Christianity and Catholicism are not synonymous synonymous by a long shot. It was a different era. Different, different uh, era for sure. Hi Patricia, I think Lucy has been selfish as adopted people need to have their birth mother's medical history. It's her husband and children, I feel, are the problem here. She's caused these problems herself. It's not the 21st century. It's not like it's nineteen. Uh, Sixty, thanking you, says Kate. It is now twenty twenty one. She should uh, maybe speak to her family. That's what I would love her to do. I would love her to maybe, from listening to us talking about it today, that she'll maybe just talk to her family. You'd be, you know, she's assuming her family are going to react. Well, we know. Having said that, I don't know her husband and I don't know her children. But I I think they possibly would be very, very understanding because, again, that's an issue that's happened in other families. Other mothers have kept it a secret, never told anyone. And then suddenly the secret came out and many, many families were hugely understanding and very welcoming. And there's been fantastic relationships have formed between siblings. They may only be Half siblings, they may have had a different father in some cases. They may have they had both the same mother and father. And gorgeous adult relationships have developed from adoption stories. John and Skibbereen says whether she likes it or not, she is a part of that little baby who's now a 40-year-old Ma'am, maybe her son wants to meet her at some stage and maybe her husband and her children will welcome him into the family as well. Very sad to hear this as if it was me, says John. I would want to know how he's getting on in life. Well, that, she did say that in a re Her hope is that he has led a very happy and a productive life and that he, you know, got adopted into a beautiful family and that, you know, he's grown up happy and stable and content and maybe, as she said herself, he may not even want to know uh, who who she is or know anything about her. Peter said it's very sad uh, listening to that uh, email today and also really sad the trauma that is coming uh, from it. Two things happened here before she gave birth. What led to this child? She is carrying this with her for 40 years. What is gone on in the back of her mind must be so hard for her. She's lived with this for 40 uh, years. Maybe she needs to speak to somebody, maybe somebody like a counsellor. Maybe she needs to bare her soul. This could be uh, easier as to me, it's like she's covering up two things, the nature of the pregnancy, how she became pregnant and also what she then had to do. Maria says, what if her son needs medical attention or needs an operation? So surely someone, someone of his adopted family knows who is his birth mother. No, honest to God, when adoptions happened in this country, there was absolutely no information passed on. We're talking about a very different era to what we are doing today. So no, it isn't the case that he's that that boy's adoptive mother would have known who the birth mother was. Daniel says, what about the father in all of this uh, case? Does he know he has a 40-year-old son? Uh, I don't know. I simply don't know. Looking at the email, I would think no, I would, I would think, uh, no. Catherine says Lucy's health will suffer big, big time carrying around this secret with her. It may not be as bad as she she thinks. My advice would be talk to her family; they will support her in this very, very difficult time. That's from Catherine by WhatsApp. And hi, Patricia. So sad listening to that email. Now, I can understand that lady's point of view in a way. Nobody knows the circumstances of a pregnancy or how it happened. It is so uh, sad. Have a great uh, day. So, kind of a mixed bag. People having sympathies for Lucy. Others are critical of her and others seeing it as selfish. So people are seeing it from both sides. People are seeing it from her son's side. If he does come forward, gets the birth cert, finds out his mother's name and wants to go and contact her, even though she will have the right uh, to say she doesn't want to be contacted. But there will be no sanctions, according to Minister Roderick Gorman, is introduced this law. There will be no sanctions on anyone who contacts their best mother their their birth mother against their status wishes. 1850 333 103 your lines remain open. John Paul is taking your calls. I can also see questions coming in for Annalise. Keep those uh, coming as well please. You can text her WhatsApp oh eight six two. 103
2: 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork
1: County Council's Community Support Programme If you or anyone you know Needs help in accessing Non-emergency and non-medical Supports or advice See CorkCoco.ie
3: Skibbereen Country Market That's going to reopen On this Friday the 21st of May Between half past 11 and half past 1 It'll be in Abbey Storey Church Hall In Skib Lots of great produce on offer Cakes, plants, veg and uh, crafts St. Gopnett's Nursing Home. They will hold a bake sale. It's in aid of the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland. Now it's going to be Saturday week, the 29th of May and it'll be between 2 and 6 in the afternoon. The stall will be located near Theresa Kelleher's house on the Charleville to Ballyogran Road. Uh, if you would like to donate or contribute baking, can you please contact Maura on 086 844. 844. And Bohabwine National School, they're holding a fundraising raffle offering you the chance to win a dream house in Killarney. Plus, it's not just the house they're giving away. They have €35,000 in monthly prizes. The first draw will be held on Friday the 25th of June. That's for €10,000. And then there'll be monthly prizes running from July through to November of €5,000 each month. Then the draw for the grand prize of the house in Killarney will take place on the 31st of December 2021. Tickets cost €100. They can be got online at www.winyourdreamhousekillarney.com on. Are by contacting Boherbury National School on 029 76141
2: Court today on C103
1: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie
3: And Esther reacting to Lucy's email as a birth mother who gave a baby up for adoption says oh my God uh, Patricia my heart is breaking to hear that lady Lucy carrying that burden with her for all of the, those years it's never too late to confide in your family especially her children and I'm sure they would give her huge support and huge understanding maybe she's apprehensive about telling her husband and his reaction I'm reading between the lines that that's the case but she needn't worry as her grown children now are adults and they'd be there to support her and to talk to their, to their dad and for them it's just all a matter of all rallying around and showing their love and understanding for their mother it couldn't be a better time to tell them in this day and age there is no need for that for that kind of thing to be kept a secret. She seems like a wonderful mother and a person, and well done to her for sharing it with your listeners. It's time to tell them now. It'll be a huge relief. When you're ready to pop the
7: question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.
9: That's stamps.com. Code program.
3: And maybe she would feel different about the little baby that she gave up. And that's uh, from Esther, who's very, really understanding. Well done, Esther. And Sarah has uh, contacted us. Good morning, Sarah. Uh, Good morning. You're welcome. You were adopted. I was, yes. Back in 1970. And he had a lovely life with your adopted family? I did indeed. Great. And your birth mother?
5: Yes. um, My birth mother, I actually didn't um, go about racing for quite a while till my birth parents or my adopted parents had passed, which I think is something that adopted people often feel that they might hurt them or, you know, upset them. Yeah. Um, But when I did, I suppose before I went about the proper route, I had gone online and I'd kind of figured out a bit myself. Um, And then I went to the uh, proper authorities and I went about tracing. And when they made contact with her, she didn't want um, to get in contact with me. So I suppose, again, that was like a second rejection, as in the adoption side of it first. I mean, I had a voice in my life. I knew as a child I had a fear of detachment because of the detachment from my birth mother. Um, so much so that in my adult years, I've gone about um, counselling and I've really, you know, I've worked on that. And I'm going to say I've proved myself um, and I feel very happy about that. Um, so, yes, so when she decided that she didn't want um, to make contact, again, I felt that was, you know, a huge upset for me. I've it was, a, it was a Christmas. I found it very hard to deal with it. But then afterwards, I kind of felt, you know, I can live now with this. Um, anger I suppose really and I decided not to so I again worked on it for myself, I had great faith and I luckily I suppose I overcame it and I realised you know what if she doesn't want to meet me that's okay I realised that she's back in 1970 in the fear the guilt, the, you know the what will the family and neighbours say she never married, she had no family um, since and she felt that she would upset her siblings. This is what she told the social worker. So I respected that, even though I know where she is, I certainly wouldn't be going to call on her door. Yeah, and I think that's a thing for a lot of birth mothers, I suppose, that are fearing this whole thing of you know their identity being revealed by birth.
3: Certs. Do you, do you welcome what they're what they're planning to do? This giving the access to birth certs.
5: I do. I do, but I do also feel for birth mothers, and that's why I suppose, me personally, I am blessed that I would respect my birth mother, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't because I know she doesn't want contact. I respect that, um, and I would hope that that will be the way for a lot of people. But again. Everyone's story is their
3: own, you know. Because yeah, other gone. other adopted people are, are kind of very annoyed with there's been There's a couple of texts now where people are upset and annoyed by uh, Lucy, which isn't her name, Lucy's attitude. Yes. Uh, and yeah. in particular, people are talking about their medical, not yes. knowing, you know, the famous question <laughs> that you get asked yeah. when you go into, is there any heart disease? In the family? And yeah. uh, obviously you face that all of your life.
5: I did, and I, I understand I do really have sympathy for Lucy because I see a lot of similarities with my own birth mother there. Um, and again, it's it's just, I suppose, the shame and the guilt. that, that That's just literally what it's about. Um, in relation to myself, I did get from medical records when I was pregnant my second daughter. Okay. Um, now, it was vague,
3: Yes. Yeah.
5: that's all that was available, and I got that. And I did also receive non-identifiable information. Which was quite detailed. So I'm grateful to my birth mother as well. For that. That, you know, she gave me maybe more than the norm. You know, and people said to me, maybe that's because she wanted you to contact her. And then when I did and she didn't want to meet me, you know, you build yourself up. Yeah. You know, but then I always think this is very much a 50-50 way. We have to be prepared First,
3: a good result, and maybe not such a good result when you go play things. And listen, I've I've countless interviews I've done with people who've connected, and it hasn't worked out. You know, I've equally right. dealt with, I've equally interviewed people, and there's been lovely reunions, and you know, meeting up with other okay. siblings, and and it's been great. But it it doesn't always work out. But I'm really taken aback, Sarah. You you were her only child. She didn't go yeah. into it. Yeah.
5: Well. No. No, but I again. I suppose I don't know, but I feel that because of the shame, the poor woman is trapped. Like I am the lucky one, Patricia. I freed myself. I am blessed. I'm married with three beautiful girls. You know, my life is is very happy. And I think of her possibly. You know, I think she's in a farming community and possibly very sheltered. Yeah. She'd be in her seventies now, Um and you know. I'm sad for her, but that's her choice.
3: Yeah, yeah, I had a
5: choice too, and thankfully, you know, I I chose to to get on and I suppose free myself up of what the of the whatever was holding me back. My sadness, you know, the void, the wondering who I am, where do I come from. I've answered all those questions.
3: And growing up, did you always know you were adopted?
5: Yeah, we were. My brother and I were both adopted, and um, and we were told at a young age. You know, and um, so it was never a secret really at home. But for some reason in school and with my friends, I, I kind of chose who I wanted to tell. Yeah. Um. And I don't really know why, you know, but I was a quiet, introverted child. And I do feel that was it was a detachment from my birth mother that really it just stuck with me. Maybe it doesn't happen with all adopted people. Yeah. And I think for that reason, I found it very hard to to bond with my adopted mother. Then, as a result, because I was always, I said, "Well, I have my guard up that I might be, I might be, um, less, uh, abandoned. yeah, by I abandoned. abandoned." Yeah, again,
3: yeah.
5: You know, Um and now I can see why, you know. But again, in my adult years, I realised that I needed to work on myself around this because to be happy, to be fully content, I needed to know who
3: I was inside and out. And you and you, and you definitely training, sound you know? like you do. You you definitely sound <laughs> yeah. like you do. And you've yeah. got and your own would you would you speak to your own children about being adopted is that something? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh
5: yeah, the girls my
3: girls know
5: Everything you know, um, I went. Now again, I was slow to tell them when my parents were alive. Yeah. Again, protecting them. Yeah. But as they came up, came up in age, I suppose it filtered through, and they love it because they feel now that they've, they've three grannies and three granddads <laughs> <laughs> and they're
3: special because nobody. You know, yes, yeah, a good way looking an at. It. And yeah. what would you what would you say to uh, Lucy? Like a lot of people are saying, she should mm-hmm. give because she she her big fear is her family finding out her her children yeah. and her husband. Mm-hmm. Should she? Some are saying tell her to reach out, particularly to her to her own children.
5: Yeah, I mean, I personally think nowadays, because again, back in the day when it was all that shame and guilt, I I could see Luke's situation not being able to disclose that information. Mm. But now I would think that she would be, it would be she'd be she'd be understood more. Number one, and yeah. I think if she's adult children, I, I mean from. If it was me I would I'd be feeling delighted and I'm sure they would be too. Her husband, depending on the type of person, if he's very open minded, I'm sure he'd take it on with open arms. You know, if he's not, that'll be a difficult one maybe. So I think everyone's situation is different. Is their own. But,
3: but it's a very me, different time now. It is to back when you were born in the seventies and even yeah. Lucy's child in, in the 90s. It's very different.
5: It is very different. No. And again that shame and guilt of that day. Um, had an awful lot to do with it mm. you know but I I just feel why stay stuck with that secret you know I was saying to John Paul there earlier I heard a lady saying you know about maybe baby being an accident or a mistake and I st- I was listening to her saying I'm not a mistake yeah. yeah you know I'm you know I was here put here for a reason and I'm living that for that reason you know so you know, life is to be enjoyed and to be lived, but if we're held down by fear or shame, God, anyone that I can give one message to do something about it and set yourself free.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, a lot of people saying well done to you for sharing uh, your uh, story, including Niall's listening to uh, Sarah. Well done to her, particularly for respecting her birth mother's wishes. And uh, a lot of people saying what a brave lady and what a well-adjusted lady. uh, Lots of people (laughs) are saying. Listen, thank you for that and thank you for sharing it with us. Thanks, Patricia. Good afternoon to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, Someone else is saying for a message for Lucy while while. While Sarah has respected her wishes, who is to say that Lucy's son won't appear on her doorstep and that a family member will answer the door it wouldn't be the first time it's happened in Ireland but I think that's the reason that Lucy has contacted us that's what she is so terrified uh, of Eddie is saying to people who are condemning Lucy saying she's been selfish how dare they condemn that poor unfortunate woman if you were in her situation 40 years ago they might react differently nobody knows what you would do when you would become uh, pregnant someone else says Lucy doesn't need to worry about what other people think they are thinking they're not thinking about her at all times have uh, really changed changed. Uh, Hi, you should never judge another unless you've walked a mile in their shoes. Lucy's been judged by some uh, people. They should just stop uh, and think about what she is going through There, are, these are not black and white situations there's many grey areas in life if Lucy feels her husband is a compassionate man then she should confide in him, pick a time away from the family and just confide in him and a number of people are saying that and this is from uh, the, uh, an adoptive person who was quite upset by the tone of Lucy's email earlier it says uh, finally we have some chance of equal rights as adoptees, our lineage, our Health information has been held hostage for too long on the basis of irrational fears. If she wants no contact, then go through the normal legal uh, process. But you see, I think that's what she's worried about is under this new law, there will be no sanctions against her birth son contacting her, that's her fear and this listener says that the ancestry DNA, there will be few secrets remaining in a few years time. 1850 333 John Paul taking your calls. We are in particular looking for questions for Annalise please our nutrition therapist. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103-103.
2: Court today on C one o three
1: with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
2: This is the court today replay on C one o three.
3: Annelise Driscoll of the healthhubstore.com, uh, joining me on the line from the health hub store in Times Square in Balencoli. Good afternoon, Annelise. Good afternoon. Patricia. And you're, you're very welcome. Let me get straight in with number of people are going for vaccinations this week. So that's that general question that seems to come up every week. Is there anything that they need to be doing in advance of going for their COVID jab this week? I don't
7: think there's, I think, uh, Patricia, if people have been doing their, you know, their vitamin D and some people have been taking vitamin C and zinc, I think absolutely it's fine to um, continue with those because they will help support the healthy immune system response. And for some people, if they're worried about blood clotting, um, taking an aspirin actually would be very good to help thin your blood. Uh, omega fats are very good for thinning the blood as well but you'd probably want to be taking those for at least 10 days before you get the jab to have the blood thinning effect but I think aspirin might be a little bit faster so if you are worried about blood clots just take an
3: aspirin. Yeah, and I, I was telling people I had mine on Saturday. I took two Panadol before I went. <laughs> it seems to be the advice for absolutely. everybody. And I was fine. Yeah. I literally, absolutely, thank God in touch wood. I had absolutely no ill effects uh, at all. But then Sean says, I got my COVID injection a month ago. I was very tired. On and off for about two weeks. I'm fine now, but I'm just wondering, will it be the same next time? And if so, would Annalise suggest anything, please?
7: So um, now it's it's hard to know, like you know, if it's a direct result of the vaccine. But I mean, the vaccine is giving you a mild um, dose of COVID, effectively. With um, it's well, if that's replicating, what it's replicating is your response to COVID. And one of the side effects of COVID was tiredness, so it is possible. You'd get that side effect from the vaccine and it's also possible that you'd get it after your second dose as well. So I think probably taking something like the Source of Life Gold, even for a week afterwards, you could take a little bottle of it. That's a great nutrient booster, but there's a whole load of stuff in there for energy like your B vitamins and there's a bit of ginseng that will perk you up as well. But I wouldn't worry about it. It's perfectly normal. Um, you know, to have some sort of mild side effects to vaccine. And they all pass. They, they nearly all pass after a couple of weeks.
3: Yeah, you'll be fine. Hi, I suffer with gout. Could uh, What's the best thing for it, please, says a texter.
7: OK, so for gout, the best approach, prevention is always best, better than cure with everything, I suppose, but specifically with gout. What happens with gout is some people genetically are less capable of breaking down um, a particular kind of proteins called purines and they form uric acid in the blood and uric acid when it reaches certain levels in the blood will crystallize out and lodge between joints so you can imagine it's excruciatingly painful particularly the thumbs and the big toes tend to be affected but I have seen people with gout in the shop where their fingers there you can see the crystals poking through the skin that it's, it's, it's so severe and it's very very painful So cherry juice is very good to help your kidneys clear uric acid from the blood. So having a glass, and it has to be the sour cherry juice or the Montmorency cherry juice, um, taking a glass of that every day is wonderful for prevention. And I have lots of customers who have been doing it for years and have remained gout-free. The other thing that's very good as well is turmeric as an anti-inflammatory. And you can get supplements that will mix cherry juice, turmeric and also nettle which is another great blood cleanser together. Terranova is a company they do um, a a mix of all three so that's a good one to take and then one of my favourites is the Dr. Dealer Claire she does um, a, a herbal tincture called musculo joint and it's Um, a combination of different natural anti-inflammatories for joints and stuff as well that will help clear uric acid so if you're in a flare-up I would definitely take the musculo joint I'd drink three glasses of cherry juice a day and then for the maintenance I would have one glass of cherry juice a day or I would take um, the capsules from the Terra Nova um, blend of turmeric star, cherry and nettle
3: Hi uh, Patricia question for Ananese. what can I take for constant ringing in my ears it actually gives me a headache That's from Chris. It sounds like tinnitus.
7: Tinnitus, yeah, absolutely, Patricia. It sounds like that to me. Now, tinnitus can be down to a number of different things. Um, Tinnitus can be as a result of having had a viral infection that causes inflammation of the inner ear, and you can get a ringing sound in your ear. Or Some people experience vertigo, which is a dizziness and sense of nausea. That's one side effect, uh, one effect of tinnitus. The other could be hearing damage because of loud, you know, loud... um, music playing all the time, or sometimes people after hearing infection could experience hearing damage. So it can be very difficult to shift. And the one that's created by um, inflammation of the inner ear is the most easy one to target. There is a great supplement, if you can get your hands on it, um, by a company called Nature's Plus, and it's called Hearing Support, Age Loss Hearing Support. Unfortunately, it was discontinued and I am now out of it. I bought up everything I could find Um, But if you could get that online, that's a very successful one. The other thing I'd mention as well, Patricia, is it might be worth going to see a chiropractor because sometimes it can be as a result of um, misalignment of the spine and of the neck. And I know I experience it myself when my back and neck is very sore. I get a ringing and a buzzing in my head. And when it gets sorted out, the buzzing goes away. So if you feel you'll probably have a good sense yourself of why it's happening Mm -hmm. and take the relevant approach then.
3: Hi this is from Mary. Any natural supplement to pre- pre- to replace loss of oestrogen? I am in the menopause at the moment. I have sore joints, swollen tummy even though I exercise daily and I watch what I eat.
7: Yeah absolutely very common Patricia and as far as I know there was a lot of um, radio play on and jo- yeah, jo Duffy, on Duffy. On Joe Duffy for the Duffy. last
3: two weeks. It was incredible to hear some of the stories uh, and the suffering by women. It
7: is and I think doctors to be fair are afraid of prescribing HRT because of that big study that came out that showed it increased cancer
3: I mean, it got debunked
7: well it, it, the, the, risk, the risk there's a slight risk but I mean there's a very high risk of getting cancer from lots of other things yeah. in life as well yeah. like smoking and eating you know too many saturated fats etc etc so um, but I do understand where doctors are coming from in our current society that they have to be very careful that they don't recommend things that could fall back on them but I have had lots of customers come into me in the shop and they are on antidepressants and cholesterol medication and thyroid medication and really they just need to be on HRT. So there is natural HRT which is comprised of um, plant-based estrogens. So they are estrogens that are found naturally in plants, mainly like things like lignans um, from linseeds and soya, soya extract as well. Um, and what they do is they extract out the isoflavones from these that have the estrogenic um, mimicking capacity in the body. So different health shops will have different brands, but ones that I find particularly effective are Nutri-Advanced. They do one called perimenopause support, and it is fantastic. It's got those isoflavones in there, but it's also got some herbs to help with anxiety. It's got um, magnesium and it's got some of the B vitamins that help with low mood associated with menopause as well. So that's the Nutri-Advanced perimenopause support. Also, um, NHP, the Natural Health Practice, they do a supplement that was formulated by Dr. Marilyn Glenville. She's sort of the women's health hormone expert in the UK and that is called menoherbal. Again it's a combination of different things to support the liver and plant based estrogens to prop up your own declining levels. I would recommend then vitamin B6 and a high dose for people who are suffering from menopause related anxiety. It's very good. Having high cholesterol is normal during your menopause because cholesterol is the building block for your sex hormones like estrogen so the body thinks it needs to make more in order to produce more hormone until it readjusts you know after post-menopause so having high cholesterol does not mean you need to go on a statin drug and antidepressants i would definitely recommend taking vitamin b6 before trying those to see can you get a benefit from that and then finally, for hot flushes, I recommend sage. And you can take it either as a tea or you can take it as a tablet.
3: OK, lots of advice uh, there. Email in saying hi. Uh, could you please ask Annalise, what was the product she recommended to increase insulin for type 2 diabetes? I look forward to her slot every Monday as she gives great practical advice. Thank you.
7: So excellent. There's a couple of things that are great for um, for helping with improving insulin sensitivity now if you're on a medication you need to be careful because if you take something natural that improves your insulin sensitivity you would be at a risk of getting hypoglycemic where your your blood sugar drops too much so if you're going to do something like that just do it in conjunction with your doctor's advice so the supplements that are very beneficial first and foremostly chromium it's a mineral that's very important for our cells to help insulin um, work properly so it, it's possible that chromium deficiency could cause it. Taking that supplement will help. Some people like to put cinnamon on their porridge and cinnamon is a great natural source of chromium. So that can help improve insulin sensitivity. And then there's certain ones that can work if you are a type 2 diabetic uh, and you know that, that will help protect your body from the damages of having dysregulated blood sugar and also can help improve gluten, the insulin sensitivity. And one is bitter melon. And that's a really popular Indian remedy. And actually, I think in India they have huge levels of type 2 diabetes over there. And you can actually buy bitter melon as a juice when you go to um, corner shops. So bitter melon in capsule form is available. Terranova is a company that do that. Um, also, berberine is a wonderful one. Uh, berberine, fatty liver is, is a common side effect of type 2 diabetes. Um, so berberine is wonderful to protect the liver um, and, again, that will come in capsule form. Um, and then the last thing I think I'd recommend is the alpha-lipoic acid. This is brilliant to protect your cells from um, elevated blood sugar. So if you have high blood sugar, it can damage proteins on very sensitive cells, like the back of your eyes, so you're more prone to getting cataracts and blindness, the tiny vessels in the fingers and toes, so long-term diabetics are prone to getting... Um, you know, a damage to the nerves and the, the, the cells in, in toes and feet. So it's fantastic for protecting all of those, taking a supplement of alpha-lipoic acid. And that's spelled A-L-P-H-A-L-I-P-O-I-C acid.
3: OK, and very finally, Geraldine and Bantry says, drink plenty of water before you go for your vaccination, particularly two days before. Uh, it's highly recommended. And then Geraldine says, taking a spoonful of bot- botanical, is it botanical? Is that good for you?
7: Um, well, I'm not sure what Botanica is, um, if it's a supplement. There is a company called um, Irish Botanica. They do different ones, possibly like Echinacea. Um, I'm not sure I would advise taking Echinacea before going for your vaccine. Echinacea does ramp up your t cell. Um, production, I just think it's possibly a better thing not to take any herbs on the day of Yeah, but vaccine.
3: drinking the water isn't a bad idea it's so we'll take that being one. being
7: well hydrated is always. Is always good for you. Okay, yeah. listen
3: have a lovely week, we'll talk next week Annalise. Thank thanks. you for that <laughs> and thanks for joining us. That is Annalise Dressel of the Health Hub Times Square in uh, Balancholic and you can access uh, Annalise online at the healthhubstore.com and of course every afternoon following her slot she puts it up on, on her website as heard on the radio and also we will replay uh, our entire slot with Annalise that goes up on as a podcast in the afternoon as well. OK, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we are back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Look after yourself and stay safe.
2: Court Today on C103 with John
1: Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to